Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our very fine friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse have a link at the top for online edition, you'll see the link to read ACIMOE. Also on that drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to receive a daily excellent email that includes both the reading that we share here in the mornings as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we uh, complete Chapter 1, Introduction to Miracles, with Section 2, Distortions of Miracle Impulses. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 11. My meaningless thoughts are showing me a meaningless world. And by way of opening this morning, I just can't tell you how delighted I was. It's as if I read it for the very first time (laughs) to have found this perfect poem in the book Susceptible to Light by Shailen Harkin. This perfect poem is called The Second Way. It'll blow your mind. The Second Way. Sometimes my poems are just flat pieces of paper with scrawls on them. And other times, they are directions to fold that ordinary flatness into origami cranes that can fly into the heart and dimensionalize it. Sometimes the stars are discarded notes of God's bad ideas, crinkled up and thrown aside. And other times, they are a universe of dazzling gems. It makes me wonder about what leads me to see things the second way. Something here about meaningless thoughts in a meaningless world. Amen. Oh, that was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> wow. I yeah. really have to get that book. <laughs> I keep oh yeah. I've got it written in my you know, in my Course in Miracles book. I wanna get that one. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome, Robert Marie. It is um, Lauren. I'll yes, see my dear. This is this is Lana. Um, I'm going to have to pass. I just had a visitor come in, <laughs> so I'll be back okay. when um, when uh, that visitor is finished. Okay. All right. Sorry. You enjoy your visitor. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Huh? Well, that leads me to talk about the reading list. <laughs> Today we have Fran, Jennifer, Karen, Jessica. And perhaps at the end, Robin Marie. And Harrison is listening. And given that Lana is gone, Lemoyne, I'm going to put you right in front of Fran. There we go. See, that works. Lemoyne, Fran, Jennifer, Karen, Jessica, and Robin Marie. For now. And Harrison is listening. And let's see. Has anyone else joined us? I think I have everyone. I do. Okay. Um, 
So we're going to take up Distortion of Miracle Impulses, Section 2, in Chapter 1, Introduction to Miracles. Today we'll do uh, 107 through 100, or 102 through 107. You who are involved in unconscious distortions which are producing, no, not who, good heavens, you are involved in unconscious distortions which are producing a dense cover over miracle impulses and which make it hard for them to reach consciousness. The nature of any interpersonal relationship is limited or defined by what you want it to do. Relating is a way of achieving an outcome. The danger of defenses lies in their propensity for holding misperceptions rigidly in place. All actions which stem from reverse thinking are literally the behavioral expressions of those who know not what they do. A rigid orientation can be extremely reliable, even if it is upside down. In fact, the more consistently upside down it is, the more reliable it is. Lemoyne. Okay, Nook. Chapter 1, Introduction to Miracles, Section 2, Distortions of Miracle Impulses. You are involved in unconscious distortions which are producing a dense cover over miracle impulses and which make it hard for them to reach consciousness. The nature of any interpersonal relationship is limited or defined by what you want it to do. Relating is the way of achieving an outcome. The danger of defenses lies in their propensity for holding misperceptions rigidly in place. All actions which stem from reverse thinking are literally the behavioral expressions of those who know not what they do. A rigid orientation can be extremely reliable, even if it is upside down. In fact, the more consistently upside down it is, the more reliable it is. However, validity is still the ultimate goal which reliability can only serve. Hostility, triumph, vengeance, self-debasement, and all kinds of expressions of lack of love are often very clearly seen in the fantasies which accompany them. But it is a profound error to imagine that because these fantasies are so frequent or occur so reliably, that this implies validity. Remember that while validity implies reliability, the relationship is not reversible. You can be wholly reliable and entirely wrong. While a reliable instrument does measure something, what use is it unless you discover what the something is? This course, then, will concentrate on validity and let reliability fall naturally into place. 
Thank you. Uh, to both of my mute button. Yep. Thank you, Lauren. And uh, Fran. Paragraph 103. However, validity is still the ultimate goal, which reliability can only serve. Hostility, triumph, vengeance, and self-debasement, and all kinds of expressions of lack of love, are often very clearly seen in the fantasies which accompany them. But it is a profound error to imagine that because these fantasies are so frequent or occur so reliably that this implies validity. Remember that while validity implies reliability, the relationship is not reversible. You can be wholly reliable and entirely wrong. While a reliable instrument does measure something, what use is it unless you discover what the quote-unquote something is? This course, then, will concentrate on validity and let reliability fall naturally into place. 104. The confusion of miracle impulses with physical impulses is a major source of perceptual distortion because it induces, rather than straightens out, the basic level confusion which underlies the perception of all those who seek happiness with the instruments of this world. Inappropriate physical impulses or misdirected miracle impulses result in conscious guilt if expressed and depression is denied. Excuse me. All real pleasure comes from doing God's will. This is because not doing it is a denial of self. Denial of error results in projection. Correction of error brings release. Quote, lead us not into temptation, means, quote, do not let us deceive ourselves into believing that we can relate in peace to God and to our brothers with anything external, unquote. Still with the button here. Thank you, Fran. Um, And next would be Jennifer. (laughs) Okay, 104. The confusion of miracle forces with physical impulses is a major source of perceptual distortion because it induces rather than straightens out the basic level confusion which underlies the perception of all those who seek happiness with the instruments of this world. Inappropriate physical impulses or misdirected miracle impulses result in conscious guilt if expressed and depression if denied. All real pleasure comes from doing God's will. This is because not doing it is a denial of self Denial of error results in projection. Correction of error brings release. Quote, lead us not in temptation, unquote, 
means do not let us deceive ourselves into believing that we can relate in peace to God or to our brothers with anything external. 105, paragraph. Child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Do not lose sight of this. The love of God for a little while must still be expressed through one body to another because the real vision is still so dim. Everyone can use his body best by enlarging man's perception so he can see the real vision. This vision is invisible to the physical eye. The ultimate purpose of the body is to render itself unnecessary. Learning to do this is the only real reason for its creation. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Karen. 105. Child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Do not lose sight of this. The love of God for a little while must still be expressed through one body to another because the real vision is still so dim. Everyone can use his body best by enlarging man's perception so he can see the real vision. This vision is invisible to the physical eye. The ultimate purpose of the body is to render itself unnecessary. Learning to do this is the only real reason for its creation. 106. Fantasies of any kind are distorted forms of thinking because they always involve twisting perception into unreality. Fantasy is a debased form of vision. Vision and revelation are closely related, while fantasy and projection are more closely associated because both attempt to control external reality according to false internal needs. Twist reality in any way and you are perceiving destructively. Reality was lost to usurpation, which in turn produced tyranny. I told you that you are now restored to your former role in the plan of atonement, but you must still choose freely to devote yourselves to the greater restoration. As long as a single slave remains to walk the earth, your release is not complete. Complete restoration of the sonship is the only true goal of the miracle-minded. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Jessica. Okay, 106. Fantasies of any kind 
are distorted forms of thinking because they always involve twisting perceptions into unreality. Fantasy is a debased form of vision. Vision and revelation are closely related, while fantasy and projection are more closely associated because both attempt to control external reality according to false internal needs. Twist reality in any way, and you are perceiving destructively. Reality was lost through usurpation, which in turn produced tyranny. I told you that you are now restored to your former role in the plan of atonement, but you must still choose freely to devote yourselves to the greater restoration. As long as a single slave remains to walk the earth, your release is not complete. Complete restoration of the sonship is the only true goal of the miracle-minded. 107. No fantasies are true. They are distortions of perception by definition. They are a means of making false associations and obtaining pleasure from them. Man can do this only because he is creative. But although he can perceive false associations, he can never make them real except to himself. Man believes in what he creates. If he creates miracles, he will be equally strong in his belief in them. The strength of his conviction will then sustain the belief of the miracle receiver. And fantasies become totally unnecessary as the whole wholly satisfying nature of reality becomes apparent to both. Oh, it's not mute. Yeah, I think you're backwards again, Lori. Press that button. It's on mute button. Uh, I press it and press it. Oh, poor. Am I back? <laughs> there you I'm are. I'm still not back. You're back. Oh, now I am. <laughs> I'm pressing and pressing. I'm going to just leave my button off and try not to cough. Um, <laughs> 107. No fantasies are true. They are distortions of perception by definition. They are a means of making false associations and obtaining pleasure from them. Man can do this only because he is creative. But although he can perceive false associations, he can never make them real except to himself. Man believes in what he creates. If he creates miracles... He will be equally strong in his belief in them. The strength of his conviction will then sustain the belief of the miracle receiver, and fantasies become totally unnecessary as the wholly satisfying nature of reality becomes apparent to both. Thank you, Robin Marie. <clears throat> and thank you, everyone who read this. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, let's see here. <clears throat> 
we have time before the top of the hour. And so uh, a few things that might help um, these few paragraphs fall into place uh, come to mind right off the top of my head. If you don't mind indulging me for a minute, I'll, um, I'll, I'll say what um, helps me about this. And uh, first of all, um, these paragraphs, these six paragraphs, um, were distilled, you might say, out of, um, gosh, I didn't count how many paragraphs were involved, but two very dense pages of material um, were um, called, you might say, to lift these these paragraphs from. The material is the same material I referenced yesterday, a detailed dialogue uh, between uh, between the scribe and the channel, and that also involved Bill. So Helen and Bill and, and Jesus had this, this dialogue, very clarifying dialogue uh, to two psychologists um, who had a real frame of reference that uh, the frame of reference was what is a healthy mind, okay? <clears throat> and so Jesus is talking to him about this, and he uses words like um, validity and reliability because those are common psychological terms uh, in which you can um, that psychologists use to evaluate whether or not the measure they are using uh, produces real results, okay? So the, the words valid and reliable had real meaning to them. For us to understand that same meaning, uh, it becomes important. And so what he's saying there in terms that we commonly relate to uh, <clears throat> our validity in our discussion can be used to mean truth. And reliability can mean um, consistency, truth and consistency. Uh, so if an instrument is valid, you can say that it produces truth. If it's reliable, but upside down, <laughs> you can get consistently upside down results, but that doesn't mean that they're valid or true. You see what I'm saying? So it's validity and reliability. If we use the words uh, truth and consistency, it starts to make sense to us. The reason... Um, it's important to realize that because the two paragraphs, first two paragraphs here talk about an instrument. Well, what instrument are we talking about? The instrument he's referring to here is the mind. Now, it becomes important to realize what he means when he's talking about levels. In this discussion, levels refers to body, mind, and spirit. Now, to help this make sense, the body is the instrument for behavior. The mind is the instrument for awareness. And the spirit, uh, we're pretty all, pretty all clear on that. Recall that in the Principles for Miracles, we read that your mind can only serve. Remember, mind can only serve, period, the end. Um, and there are only two choices. Uh, for this service. One is the spirit. The other is the ego. All right? So my mind as an instrument has two choices. It can choose to serve spirit or the truth or validity 
or it can choose to serve my ego, which will render all of my behavior upside down, all of my thinking upside down. And it will probably be consistently upside down, but that doesn't make it valid, okay? Does this start to make sense a little bit then? Uh, the third thing that um, helps uh, for me to understand these paragraphs is mind, um, mind in service of the spirit is aware of impulses naturally because mind in service of spirit, the healed mind, is not fragmented. Paying attention to cues that are subconscious, of course we can't really pay attention to that, superconscious cues, body cues, um, and then truth being at the deeper level, right? Miracle impulses are at the deeper level. And he's saying miracle level, miracle impulses cannot reach my aware consciousness <laughs> if I'm distorted in my thinking, if my mind is distorted in its thinking, which is why in the second paragraph he says, um, I'm going to read this here, a reliable instrument does something. A reliable instrument does something. My mind does something. But this course is going to concentrate on validity, not reliability. This course is going to concentrate on true thinking, not consistent behavior. All right. Now it starts to make sense. This course is going to concentrate on valid or true thinking and my behavior or how I interact with the world and how I respond to the world will fall naturally into place because I will then have access to my miracle impulses. Does this help a little bit? I think it, um, it helped me really a lot to understand the words solidity, reliability, and instrument uh, in this discussion. So thank you for indulging me for those six minutes. <laughs> I hope that helped a little bit. And I would like to read it again now, uh, understanding uh, that much. Is that OK? Thank you, Lori. That, that was, was great. great. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you, Lori. Good thank idea. Oh, thank, thank you, Lori. Maybe I'm probably going to be able to read it again. Oh, okay. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Good job, Lori. That was excellent. Thanks. I'm probably the last one to this party, but it helps me to clarify that. <laughs> All right. Anybody else want to add? What? Lori, can you hear me? Yes. I wonder yes. if you um, take what you just explained into paragraph 104, because I think this is where the confusion sets in. If you could illuminate what your understanding upon paragraph 104, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. And I bet we'll have an opportunity to do that after the top of the hour, too. I think with that much explanation, it's going to really, it's really going to hit home uh, right there in paragraph 104. But, but let's see what happens. Uh, let's reverse the order. 
So uh, anybody want to add themselves to the reading list at this point or take away? Yes, Lori, it's Lana. I'm back, I'm back now so I can read. Great. You're back on, Lana. Thank you. Anyone else add or subtract? <laughs> All right, let's see what we have. Uh, if we do one, two, three, four, five, perfect. Six. We have six readers. How about that? So it will be Robin Marie, and don't rely on me to call, okay, because I'm going to probably mute and <laughs> you just do it, okay? Robin Marie, the first paragraph, then Karen, then Jennifer, then Lana, then Fran, then Lemoyne. And Judy and Harrison and I and uh, a couple other people are listening. So go ahead, Robin Marie. Okay. Uh, chapter 2, Distortion of Miracle Impulses, 102. You are involved in unconscious distortions, which are producing a dense cover over miracle impulses and which make it hard for them to reach consciousness. The nature of any interpersonal relationship is limited or defined by what you want it to do. Relating is a way of achieving an outcome. The danger of defenses lies in their propensity for holding misperceptions rigidly in place. All actions which stem from reverse thinking are literally the behavioral expressions of those who know not what they do. A rigid orientation can be extremely reliable, even if it is upside down. In fact, the more consistently upside down it is, the more reliable it is. 103. However, validity is still the ultimate goal, which reliability can only serve. Hostility, triumph, vengeance, self-debasement, and all kinds of expressions of lack of love are often very clearly seen in fantasies which accompany them. But it is a profound error to imagine that because these fantasies are so frequent or occur so reliably, that this implies validity. Remember that while validity implies reliability, the relationship is not reversible. You can be wholly reliable and entirely wrong. When a reliable instrument does measure something, excuse me, while a reliable instrument does measure something, what use is it unless you discover what the quote-unquote something is? This course then will concentrate on validity and let reliability fall naturally into place. 104. The confusion of a miracle impulses with physical impulses is a major source of perceptual distortion because it induces 
rather than straightens out. The basic level confusion which underlies the perception of all those who seek happiness with the instruments of this world. Inappropriate physical impulses or misdirected miracle impulses result in conscious guilt if expression and depression oh, shoot, result in conscious guilt if expressed and depression if denied. All real pleasure comes from doing God's will. This is this is because not doing it is a denial of self. Denial of error results in projection. Correction of error brings relief. Quote, lead us not in temptation, unquote, means do not let us deceive ourselves into believing that we can relate in peace to God or to our brothers with anything external. Okay, 105. Child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Do not lose sight of this. The love of God for a little while must still be expressed through one body to another because the real vision is still so dim. Everyone can use his body best by enlarging man's perception so that he can see the real vision. This vision is invisible to the physical eye. The ultimate purpose of the body is to render itself unnecessary. Learning to do this is the only real reason for its creation. 106. Fantasies of any kind are distorted forms of thinking because they always involve twisting perception into unreality. <clears throat> Fantasy is a debased form of vision. Vision and revelation are closely related, while fantasy and projection are more closely associated because both attempt to control external reality according to false internal needs. Twist reality in any way, and you are perceiving destructively. Reality was lost through usurpation, which in terms produced tyranny. I told you that you are now restored to your former role in the plan of atonement, but you must still choose freely to devote yourselves to the greater restoration. As long as a single slave remains to walk the earth, your release is not complete. Complete restoration of the sonship is the only true goal of the miracle-minded. No fantasies are true. They are distortions of perception by definition. They are a means of making false associations and obtaining pleasure from them. Man can do this only because he is creative. But although he can perceive false associations, 
He can never make them real except to himself. Man believes in what he creates. If he creates miracles, he will be equally strong in his belief in them. The strength of his conviction will then sustain the belief of the miracle receiver. And fantasies become totally unnecessary as the wholly satisfying nature of reality becomes apparent to both. Oh, gosh, I really loved hearing that. Um, Again, it just really settles, doesn't it? Um, Let's see. Where are we at here with... Now my screen doesn't wake up, so I can't see the screen. Um, my phone tells time. We're, Lori, we're real close to the top of the hour. Um, you guys, one minute. I'd say go ahead, friend. I think she cut herself. She got cut off in the middle of a sentence. There. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Hi, everybody. We are in the first part of the workbook, and the lesson that we're on today is Lesson 11. So I'm going to read the whole lesson today instead of doing my summary. So here, we, and then we'll do our um, practice on the lesson. Lesson 11. My meaningless thoughts are showing me a meaningless world. This is the first idea we have had which is related to a major phase of the correction process. The reversal of the thinking of the world. It seems as if the world determines what you perceive. Today's idea introduces the concept that your thoughts determine the world you see. Be glad indeed to practice the idea in this initial form. For in this idea is your release made sure. The key to forgiveness lies in it. The practice periods for today's idea are to be undertaken somewhat differently from the previous ones. Begin with eyes closed and repeat the idea slowly to yourself. Then open your eyes and look about near or far, up or down, anywhere. During the minute or so to be spent in using the idea, merely repeat it to yourself, being sure to do so without haste and with no sense of urgency or effort. To do these exercises for maximum benefit, the eyes should move from one thing to another fairly rapidly since they should not linger on anything in particular. The words, however, should be used in an unhurried, even leisurely fashion. The introduction to this idea should be practiced as casually as possible. It contains the foundation for the peace, relaxation, and freedom from worry that we are trying to achieve. When concluding the exercises, close your eyes and repeat the idea once more, slowly to yourself. The three practice periods today will probably be sufficient. However, If there is little or no uneasiness and an inclination to do more, as many as five may be undertaken. More than this is not recommended. Lesson 11, 
My meaningless thoughts are showing me a meaningless world. Five minutes.
And now I shall read the paragraph from the review of Lesson 11. My meaningless thoughts are showing me a meaningless world. Since the thoughts of which I am aware do not mean anything, the world which pictured them can have no meaning. What is producing this world is insane, and so is what it produces. Reality is not insane, and I have real thoughts as well as insane ones. I can therefore see a real world if I look to my real thoughts as my guide for seeing. Lesson 11. My meaningless thoughts are showing me a meaningless world. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Thank you, friend. Thank you, friend. Oh, thank you, guys. <clears throat> well, this much clarity now. If my mind is my instrument for reality testing, mind is my instrument for reality testing, uh, this lesson starts to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Also, it starts to make a lot of sense why he says something like, you cannot see alone. It's, it's a quote, actually. You cannot see alone. As you see, you look inside and choose your guide for seeing. And then you look out and behold. And if I look in and choose my guide for seeing as the ego, I will look out and behold distortions. <laughs> because the mind um, serving the ego is a reliable or consistent instrument that will produce those distortions for me to see for my awareness. How about that? Just that much clarity, huh? I'm complete. That was great. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Laurie. Well, it, I'll tell you something here. It isn't typical for me to want to um, to start out a discussion, but I, I uh, seem to be vibing at a really high level here on this. <laughs> so, um, another thing that is helpful for me to realize about this instrument for reality testing, my mind, that can only serve spirit or my ego, uh, and when it's serving ego, it will produce or make distortions for me. Uh, the other thing to know about that is the fact that my mind can hold only two orders of thought. There are only two orders of thought possible, he says. One is love. The other one is the need for love. 
Your mind holds only these two orders of thought, he says, love or need for love. And so when my mind um, is acting up, when it's on the fritz, when it's serving the ego, uh, when it's distorted, when it can't see uh, the truth, um, I am actually asking for love. I am actually experiencing a need for love. That's cue, actually. Uh, when I'm having an experience I don't like, that's a cue for me to do exactly what he said yesterday. Go to my instrument for reality testing, Miracle Principle 53. The miracle compares with compares what man has made with higher level creation, with truth. Accepting what is in accord as true and rejecting what is discordant as false. All aspects of fear are untrue because they don't exist at the higher creative level. Therefore, they don't exist at all. To whatever extent I am willing to submit my beliefs to this test, to that extent are my perceptions corrected. In sorting the false from the true, the miracle proceeds along the following lines. If perfect love casts out fear, and if fear exists, then there is not perfect love, only two orders of thought, love or need for love. But if only perfect love really exists, really exists, truth, if there is fear, it creates a state which does not exist. That state does not exist, I can tell my mind. What is the truth of this? And God will establish that solution for me. Just like it says in paragraph 101, my little willingness will always be responded to with truth. That seems real important for me to say. Um, the other thing that seems real important for me to say is about these unconscious distortions. Um, and, and so I asked Spirit, well, how can I illustrate that? Here's a good example. Um, uh, a number of years ago, I had to have a surgery. And I was on the surgical, surgical table, sedated but awake. And all of a sudden, I started to cry and experience intense emotion. It was horrible, and um, I had no no conscious recognition, or, or I had no thought in my mind that that emotion was attached to, but the emotion was extremely real, and I was experiencing something um, that no one around me could understand, and of course everyone tried to respond, um, and I had to, uh, well, they just had to stop and, and stop that procedure. And I had to um, come back to myself, it seemed. I was in a state that was not real. I was truly in a state that was not real. Um, and, and so I had to ask for help from spirit. And, um, and my answer didn't come right away. But... Um, things happened that I became aware of. One was uh, a terrible case of entrapment. 
uh, in the news and it produced that same uh, emotional reaction. Oh, this is horrible. That person is so trapped. Um, another situation and another situation life presented me with and I realized that my mind had produced a state of bodily entrapment for me to experience at that moment as if it were truly real. It was an absolute distortion of reality produced out of my unconscious fear of entrapment. You see? And that's how um, that's how miracles help clear my unconscious distortions. That's how the request for truth will help me realize that that over and above emotional reaction as if it were the truth um, was something I needed to clear from my unconscious so that my behavior so that my behavior or my doing component or my relating component as he talks about in paragraph 102 relationships are where you do things and if my reality testing is skewed my relating is going to be all messed up I won't be able to respond to a need for love or be aware of love you see um, so anyway uh, that's why this course <laughs> he says focuses entirely on how I use my mind how I let my mind test reality for me my behavior or my relating will fall into line when my unconscious distortions are cleared by miracles that's the second thing that seemed important to say the third thing I know I'm taking a lot of time and I beg your indulgence um, but here's the thing I was told to say miracle impulses are below he says the unconscious level but there is this thing in order of thought love and need for love accepting the atonement means that I share Christ's inability to tolerate a lack of love all right where is this love how, how does this love reach my awareness it reaches my awareness two ways right-minded thinking which is thinking as directed by the Holy Spirit the truth okay and the other way it reaches my awareness is naturally through miracle impulses and you've had that experience I'm sure everyone has of having a sudden awareness of just overwhelming love that you experience even bodily um, you know it feels I'll tell you for me it feels as if there's a huge reservoir of something wonderful in my being that's the miracle impulse level and it rises up in response to seeing truly or seeing with my right mind without unconscious distortions he would like us to be able to access that miracle impulse level consistently and that's the purpose of this course when I realize what my mind truly is accepting the atonement for myself 
heals my mind in such a way that I no longer need respond to or react to these unconscious distortions that seem to have emotions associated with them that are so over and above the actual experience that I'm having at this moment. And so life presenting me with these unconscious distortions is really giving me a gift and saying, if you forgive this, it will disappear. In its disappearance, it heals me of the unconscious distortion. Forgiveness is my release from that. You see, that's why forgiveness is my great tool that helps me react or respond truly to this great reservoir of love that's already there, but I didn't have access to. So here's a kindness when I'm triggered. Here's a real kindness for me to realize that, oh, life, I seem to want to call it this situation or this problem, but it's really life. The kindness of the universe presenting me with an opportunity to forgive something. That is to say, I need not respond to this in my conditioned mind. If I ask Holy Spirit how to interpret this, I will be led to a miracle impulse which will give me a more natural response to or a doing relating component. It doesn't mean that I have to like triggers. Oh, God, no. But I won't respond to them from all the distorted emotion that is associated with it. I'll be able to say, I like it better when you, or um, I need to do something different in this situation. And I'll have a rational uh, response that puts me back in touch with love and need for love. Um, those are the things I was like to say. I really appreciate your indulgence. And now, because I've taken so much time, um, if we could um, make sure everyone gets a chance to share, I'm going to be quiet. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. That was great, Lori. Oh, thank, thank you so, so much. much. That was Loved a it. real blessing. Thank you. It was a treat. Hi. This is Ida. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so in the part that you guys read about distortion of miracle impulses, in the Ur text, the original, very, very original text of, of the, um, the course from way back in 72 when it was first published, um, says it a little bit differently. It says it says that um sexual impulses are distortions of miracle impulses. No. I don't know if Jesus meant all sexual impulses or if they meant outside of a loving relationship. He meant that. I, I really don't know. I wish I did know. But um, I guess we can know everything we need to know by going within and asking the Holy Spirit. So that's what I should do because I have that question. 
But I just wanted to mention that in case it might be helpful. It can be helpful to me, but in case it might be helpful to anybody else. Thank you. I'm complete. Hi. It's Robin Marie. I'm not really quite sure what you're asking, but I know that anytime I use my body to express love to someone else, it is in God's will. And so that would be any kind of um, relationship, whether it be sexual or friendship or mom to child, that um, it's a pure thing. And, and that's one of the ways that we use our bodies to express love. So that is my thought about that. Thank you, Robin Marie. Thank you, that's Robin. Very telling your response. I appreciate the... Um... I appreciate that, um, what you added, um, because it, 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 it directly correlates to my interest in exploring more deeply paragraph 104, that confusion of miracle impulses with physical impulses. And, you know, I've got some of the original, I've got just about every book there is, all the different editions of um, The Course in Miracles, and you know, and wanting to explore um, the various ways this information was transmitted, to whom it was transmitted, and for what purpose it was transmitted, at the level of understanding that, you know, the people were capable of understanding it. And, Lori, I appreciate your um, your um, before the lesson and after the lesson share um, the confusion of miracle impulses with physical impulses. And, you know, the Course really gets into this. You know, we are not our bodies. Our bodies is merely a concept in the mind of the thinker. And the separate mind is the thinker of the identification process with the body. So this confusion, this is where the confusion, the serious confusion in our mistaken sense of self-appraisal comes in. And it, it leads me, always leads me to, you know, what is, what is the validity and of truth? How do we test the validity of the truth of our beliefs? And what instrument do we use to test this? Now, here's where it gets really subtle and sublime because the body being a sensorial, sexual, if you will, I mean, you know, sensual, sexual, there's all different interpretations of the use of the body. But the Course clearly states that we're in unification at the level of mind. And here's where the, the level confusion gets, gets distor- distorted through our perception of who we think we are. What I think I am it's being a body is a distortion of my perception because I'm looking out through the body and I'm thinking I am the body and all my quote thoughts, I, me, mine, I, me, my, and mine thoughts are 
are a perceptual distortion. And it's so, it's so subtle, and the line is so absolutely almost invisible and unable to see unless we look at it so very closely. The, um, the universe, while a reliable instrument does measure something, what use is it unless we discover what the something we're measuring is? Okay, so we got the world, and they're telling us, the course JC is telling me this world is an illusory real world. It's an unreal world. Now, you know, these words, these words have a lot of juice to them. You know, what's real about the body? What's real about reality with the capital R? Understanding what these words mean and the language with which we use them as a means of communication with one another in trying to understand these, these ideas, these huge ideas, that reality with a capital R is formless, invisible, changeless, cannot be described, cannot even be verbalized, but yet we're using an instrument of the body and the mind a measure, a thing that can only measure. And a thing, a mind and a body, a body-mind that can only measure something after the fact. We watch stuff and then our brains process it. We write it down. We make it into words. We make it into ideas, into thoughts, into concepts. All of that is after the experiential fact. Hmm. I go for a swim and then I, I come home and I... I, I, I sit down and I, and I start talking about having gone for a swim. And that's the way we talk about our experience, capital O-U-R or little O-U-R, how we claim through claiming our thoughts through the instrument of the mind in our bodies, identifying with our bodies. That's how the ego claims it and measures its validity. So here's where the course <clears throat> really, the rubber meets the road. When I say what I see doesn't mean anything, what I think doesn't mean anything, what I think is meaningless, what I see is meaningless, who is the I that that is referring to? And who is the eye with the vision, the spiritual eye with the vision? These are very important distinctions. And like Lori, you know, you spoke of, I have this choice. But I, am I even aware and conscious of this choice? Am I conscious of being conscious of it? Am I aware of being aware of it? Because that's where Harrison so beautifully spoke of stepping back stepping back and watching my thinking. And who is the capital who that is watching my thinking? Mm -hmm. you know, we do, do a lot of talking. Judy, <laughs> I, yeah, I want, sweetie, I want, I want to make sure everyone has a chance to share. Um, All righty, so then. Goodbye. Wrap it up? Oh, wrap it up, honey. Go ahead and conclude your thoughts. Um, okay.
<laughs> Thank you, Judy. Um, Lord, uh, this is Lana, and you know, it. I try. I try to interpret Jesus, Jesus's words, in the simplest fashion that I can, so they're readily available to me when the need arises. Uh, my daughter's in the hospital right now. So I can't, if I start to worry, the e, I'm sorry, I'm outside, so I'm sorry for the background noise. Um, if I start to worry, you know, the ego's response to worry is very reliable. You know, I can rely on it to show up as some form of fear, and it's not helpful. You know, it's just not helpful. And, but I can also rely on um, miracles and on God and God's will. And the only time I run into trouble is when I rely on the false instead of the true. You know, it's, um, and as far as bodies are concerned, I try to look at love as a means. It's always about getting, a giving. It's never about getting. So whether I'm expressing love to a brother or a sister or in a romantic relationship, that's the key for me. You know, am I coming from a place of giving and extending? Because the minute I want to get something from it, a particular result or a certain outcome, the whole thing deteriorates into a special love. And that's not helpful. So um, I can rely on the word of God. And it's so, it becomes, it, it validates itself. Its validity shows up in our experience. And the invalidity or invalidity, I don't know if they're words, but from the ego's point of view, shows up in a false result or outcome. You know, and, and uh, one of the ways that I shared this before, that the evidence is so strong, is when um, I talk with a student and a student calls me for some type of um, help or response. Um, when I share the love of God, I can rely on that love just coming up and I can feel it. I can feel it rise up within me. And I can feel the energy, that energy extend to whoever I'm talking to. And the whole conversation shifts into a healing mode. You know, um, if I join her or his nightmare, you know, it doesn't help anybody. Because even though... Um, it's reliable from the ego's point of view. I don't have to accept it because it's not true. The word of God, the will of God is what is true, and it's just as reliable when I can train my mind to always choose it. And, you know, we're on automatic pilot, you know, uh, from we're conditioned, and the ego usually shows up first. And my job is to take that pause when it does, and choose again, and choose makes the right decision, which will give me, which will restore my peace and my awareness to love's presence. So, anyway, I'll shut up now, <laughs> so someone else can share. But I, I did want to share that. So, thank you for listening.
Thank you, Lana. And you make that very, very important distinction about getting and giving. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lana. 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 Thank you, Judy and Lana. Thank you. Good morning. Can you hear me? Go ahead. Yep. Yes. Uh, I I think that um, this idea of uh, using the body for sex and uh, and the idea that that somehow is an expression of love, uh, love as God would define it, as Holy Spirit would define it. Uh, for me, it is misleading. Uh, it, it really challenges the concept that we're not a body. So whatever the body does is uh, that's motivated uh, by some kind of bodily gratification seems to me to be inconsistent with the idea that we're not a body. Now certainly the body can be used in the service of the Holy Spirit, but that's not bodily gratification. That, to me, is that we are uh, acting miraculously, if you will. We are expressing God's love. Uh, So, uh, I hope that we can have an open discussion uh, at some point about this. Uh, I'm not obviously right in everything that I would believe in Sandy. And uh, I uh, am uh, open and receptive uh, to seeing this a different way. Um, So that's what I wanted to say about that. Uh, The other thing about this reading 
And our lessons is this idea of unconscious miracle distortions um, or maybe it said unconscious distortions and I'd like to hear more about uh, your thoughts uh, anybody about what he means by uh, unconscious miracle distortions. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you. Thanks very much, Harrison. Oh, thank you, Harrison. Maybe we can talk about that in the after call. That's a great subject. Thank you for bringing it up. Thanks. This is Laurie, and um, I'll just take a minute on that. But um, in paragraph 104, it it starts to clear up a little bit um, for me when he talks about denial of error. Well, I'm going to have to back up. All real pleasure comes from doing God's will. Um, My experience of that is when um, love is being expressed um, and and I'm allowing love to express through me, I am um, most in touch with what I feel to be God's will. It feels like a natural flowing expression um, that's not contrived or effortful. And... um, it seems to rise up as just a natural uh, expression. To me, that is the highest form of God's will. He said doing God's will is, is the most marvelous experience ever. In fact, when you've had that experience, uh, you don't even want anything else. And the closest thing well, to me, that is just that natural expression of love in a situation. That's not unusual or exceptional. We've all had that and all experienced that. Um, when I have a distortion or, or I'm, I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm not testing reality correctly, I'm not interpreting the situation with the Holy Spirit. Um, I will have, my mind will be subject to error. And in point of fact, my mind is always subject to error. The correction of error is the atonement. He says if perfect love does not exist, if, if you're not having a perfect love experience, you need to 
uh, let your mind be corrected. He deals with this in chapter 2. If only perfect love exists and you're not experiencing perfect love, then you need to recognize the atonement is perfect love. Allow yourself to experience that perfect love. I'm one with this situation. I'm one with this um, through the atonement. And once I experience that correction, I won't be uh, subject to mind errors, the healing of my mind through the atonement. But in point of fact, we live, we go around constantly with this level of awareness of body, mind, and spirit, and situations happen, and I'm going to be subject to errors as a consequence of material in my subconscious that I'm not aware of, all right? And I'll have an experience uh, where something's gone wrong. That's it. Something has gone wrong. (laughs) I am no longer feeling aligned with the universe flowing through me. Something has gone wrong. I have an error in my mind. Now, if I deny that error, if I deny something has gone wrong and it's in my mind, if I deny that, I am going to project that onto the situation. That's just a fact. I will project the error onto the situation if it's guilt, if it's fear, whatever my experience is, I will blame, I will project, I will say, you are the cause of my feeling. Or this situation is the cause of my feeling. My feeling is in my mind. My thought is in my mind. The error is in my mind. I need to ask for a correction. Without that correction, I will project the error. Denial of error leads to projection. Correction of error leads to release. The error is in my mind. Father, what is the truth of this? Now I am released from that sense of something has gone wrong. I'm back in touch with myself, and I'm back in touch with the universe. And to me, that's what he means. By not doing God's will is a denial of self. True self, the self that we all are, is a capital S entity. It's the truth of of the sonship. It's the truth of the Son of God. And in that state, nothing's gone wrong, you see. So... um, If I ask for correction of my mind, then I'm back on track, aligned with the universe. I'll have a real natural response to the situation. And that response will be appropriate. And I won't be blaming the situation or the person for my state of mind. Um, So that's how that works for me anyway. Uh, I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. Oh, that was good. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lori. Um, I'm interested. Just one other thing. Can I? It, there's one thing I forgot to say about that paragraph, Ida. Because in that paragraph 104, he talks about confusion of miracle impulses with physical impulses. And when I'm in touch with um, this seemingly flowing reservoir of goodwill and and loving feeling uh, that is the atonement. Uh, 
um, I will feel naturally close to anyone in that situation. <laughs> I remember one time my contractor presented me with a real bad situation. And my first impulse was to throw my arm around him and tell him, you're not going to leave me, are you? Now, that's probably a little bit inappropriate, this situation. And he knew me well enough to know that that was all right. But um, in that moment of disaster, I was so grateful for his presence and his help. Um, And and I just loved him um, for being there with me in that horrible situation. Um, I got a little confused, and uh, and that can happen, you know. Um, and, and there's just this flowing well of goodwill that is called miracle impulses, and um, and I can get confused about that as something that I want to get, and I want to use someone to get that experience. And he calls that a special relationship. Because now I'm not experiencing the flowing well of goodwill. I'm experiencing lack. And I want someone to fill that for me. That's a different thing. He calls that. He's not saying that's bad. He's not saying anything like that. He's not saying physical impulses are bad. He wants me to know that when I am having really excellent contact with self and this flowing well of goodwill that is the miracle impulse um physical expression of that is just fine it's a giving expression it's a let me throw my arms around your shoulder because i'm so glad you're sharing this experience with me it's a giving feeling it's not because i'm experiencing lack or need i want to share you see now, if I'm distorted in my perceptions, I'm going to feel as if I have a deficit in me and I want you to fill that deficit for me. That's a distortion of this flowing well of goodwill. I'm trying to use you to get something that I feel I lack. That's, to me, he calls that fantasy or um, magic the I have a lack I need it to be filled and you're going to do it for me again I'm I'm not in my right mind uh, so that's how I read that I'm complete that would be thanks Lori that would be yeah, special, thank you wouldn't it a special relationship would be if I'm trying to use someone else to fulfill what I see the need in me um but um okay so but my question was um about this whole process we've been talking about is how does it relate to how does it specifically relate to healing the inner child because i've been working on that for a long time and and i realized earlier this morning when i was irritated with someone here that um, kept interrupting my breakfast and stuff to ask me for my Medicare card and stuff like that, phone numbers, um, that I felt my inner child didn't feel completely safe in that 
in that situation. And so <clears throat> I'm wondering about that connection. Thank you. I'm complete. And, you know, that's uh, maybe something we can take into the after call, Ida. So <clears throat> thank you for um, that perspective. Thank you. I feel that's very important for everybody. At least everybody in the society that I was born and raised in, in this country, to to heal their inner child, whichever way that happens. I'm not saying what way it should happen. For me, I've had my own particular way um, um, through the through realizing it. I needed to through working on it healing in general like how I do through the course through my flower essences through my connection with other spiritual paths and religions um, uh, through talking with my friends or and or a counselor and and stuff like that thank you I'm complete sure thanks Ida Thank you, Ida. Now, this is Lemoyne. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think this lesson today is is intimately tied with this distortion that uh, <laughs> um, we uh, you know just the I, I wanted to say something about conditioning or programming that you know we even just even what's contained in this idea that we can be conditioned or programmed is 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 an essential distortion right that what today's idea is uh is trying to get us you know uh, the the ultimate goal of the course is to get us to recognize ourselves and so, and and then that way restore us to the peace of God in in a certain way. But it starts. He starts with asking us to look out, and and then recognize that that the world we see is determined by our thoughts about it. Right? Today's idea introduces the concept that your thoughts determine the world you see. It's near the end, when he gets to what is the world, he describes the world as false perception. You know, the idea that, you know, I, I, will, I will say it this way, 
this this goes to this thing of uh, validity versus reliability. Um, they can work hand in hand, but if you're reliably wrong, you you in perception, you cannot see what's really there. And the same thing in the mind. If it's filled with invalid thoughts, then you know we can lose track of who we are um, and have. I think in the in in this belief that the world determines, and we, one of the distortions is the world determines what we must think. And then we lose track of the fact that our thoughts have created this thing that we're at the effect of the world that we see in in the belief that we're separate, but a, t- a totally separate view of the world is inherently at least inaccurate <clears throat> because it's not complete. And so to practice this idea that what what we see in the world is a distortion is too often, you know, the normal view that we have to do stuff to this world. I've got this, I'm in the body or I have a body or I am a body. What all the all that body identification seems that the world demands things that we have to do. And, you know, the only way, what what my mind will try to do to prove it's real is create a situation that isn't actually present and say, well, see, it could go there. So you don't want to, you can't you don't want to go there, but that's a it's a fantasy in the present. <clears throat> it's not real, and if I really think about it, that's actually a situation I've survived before. <laughs> so it's like that that's actually not uh, even a mortal necessarily a mortal threat to the body. And uh, yeah, I was actually given. Uh, <laughs> The thing of uh, how it how it would actually be readily solved in relationship, just knock and get an answer to this thing of being alone, <clears throat> and therefore out in the cold and freezing and all that. But that's that's actually a fantasy in the present. It's not actually present, and so. It's just a, a fearful fantasy in the present. And it need not determine. And in fact, I need to not let it determine how I act in the present or I'll be acting out of fear. And <clears throat> just walking all over the clear positive statement here, you know, child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Do not lose sight of this. You know, the real vision is invisible to the physical eye. um, I think the... uh, You know, hmm. (laughs) let me return to to the actual 
material here. Um, that that these unconscious distortions <clears throat> from where we've accepted conditions that aren't re aren't really real to our being as 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 cause of how we must feel in a situation and let them engender fear is is the method by which <clears throat> we imprison ourselves in a world of fear that is just a projection of of uh of the belief that we're actually in separation. <clears throat> and that this is this is you know, what he's what he's I think what he's really trying to get us to do is is see that or just recognize that we're so busy projecting we couldn't possibly be seeing, you know, real vision would be an acceptance of what is. And that, you know, if the mind is always interpreting and projecting, then and projecting fear, then more and more of fear gets projected, or at least, you know, at best a steady state. And, <clears throat> you know, all this just so that we can have a sense of being right, even though um, it's it's uh, completely, even though it's inaccurate as to the way you know the world can be viewed as. As uh, and in fact, you know, some of science, ecological science, they dig in and they just discover that there's so many relationships that they can't sort it out. They can't necessarily see what's going on, but they can see that if one is removed, that all the other relationships may shift, and and, and likely do. And and in certain cases, what they call keystone species, you take out that one species through some kind of extreme weather event or poisoning or what have you, and the whole thing, the whole system will collapse. Um, <clears throat> but the point there is not that it's at risk. The point there is that it's all about relationships. I mean, if you think about the way the body develops, it starts as a single cell, and then it just replicates itself. But then they, they, over time, they, you get different cells doing different things, and as far as they can tell, it's just because of a position in the whole that, you know, flavors the relationship, and they start to do different things in different places and you get um, an epigenetic sort of shift in some of the cells to do 
very different things than the other cells, but they still all work together. You know, we think of the body as one thing, but it's a community of trillions of cells. And, you know, I think of, I think that that this is a place where as within, so without actually can apply if you, you know, some of the, what are considered to be the worst thing, one of the worst things to happen is cancer. And what's happening there is some of those, some group of cells is doing something on, you know, completely out of relationship or maybe not completely, but far enough out that it threatens the whole. And <clears throat> that it's just a, you know, it's like the separation is a failure in communication that, you know, cancer could be failure of relationship. And as far as I can tell, the signaling between the cells that changes and <clears throat> everything can get wonky. And I think that's what this is. The, the point of as of me bringing up as within, so without, was not to go to cancer and say, okay, this is wrong. This is, but to go to the thing that, <clears throat> you know, even the body is a, as a community in relationship, providing a, a temple, if you will, for life being to arise within form. That that is is uh, can I can see that as a, a model for the way we could be in the world in relationship as a, as host to God, then it becomes the world could be filled with people of like mind and a unified purpose which is much greater than the whole and that that is that that would be that complete restoration of the sunship and so i mean there is a way to to see through it all i think that is you know it, it, the body and the world they're just not the way we we've held them for so long we're kind of really off base on what is real and you know the course says what is real is what's eternal and that's not going to be the body or even the planet but it is something more along the lines of relationship which you can't see with the body's eyes but it's still there and determinative of, you know, the relationship between the cells and the body is, is a determinant of health. And the relationship between the people is a determinant of, uh, you know, how it's going for all of them. So um, I think that, you know, just he's just asking us to look beyond um, what we think we see at this point. 
<laughs> it's just like, except that we may be really off base in the way we perceive the world and that we're created to create and not and to be more of cause than effect. And there is a way to be cause that aligns with the whole and is therefore real. Anyway, I'm complete. Wow, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, you Lemoyne. Oh, thank you, Lemoyne. That was wonderful. Any final shares uh, before we end our recording? Good morning. This is Wendy. I just have a little message from Spirit I got this morning that I wanted to share. It is this, beloved. How is it that the unseen can be true and the seen untrue? It is such a shift in perception to have this become a reality. How does one prepare for such a transition? It is easier than you think. Desire and intention are the focus for anything to come about. Do you desire it? Do you intend to manifest it? Bear this in mind when you are wondering how you will get to an awakened state. Desire it and then intend it. It is a simple equation, but one often, but one often humans are completely unaware of. You're already prepared as this is your true state. Yet to move out of the unreality and into reality, you must use desire and intention as your keys. All is well and complete. Oh, that was great. Thank you. So helpful. Oh, thank you. What a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wendy. Do I still have time to share or should I hold off? Yes, hold off. Oh, please do. Please do. I just wanted wanted to um, share uh, about um, or miss these um, miracle impulses that arise naturally. And then someone brought up um, our unconscious um, guilt or those things that we're not aware of on a conscious level. And um, Holy Spirit, uh, we, can't, we can't heal what we are not aware of. It has to be brought to a conscious level. And so we can look at it and choose it again. And um, many times we'll misinterpret this as um, being something bad or we do, we've done something wrong. Um, I shared before about when I healed my belief in scarcity. You know, every time I asked for healing, it seemed like more scarcity showed up. And um, I finally got uh, that I didn't know anything about the concept of scarcity. I just knew I didn't like it and I didn't want it. And um, that, that... subtle, even that subtle willingness to see differently 
brought truth in my awareness in this time when it showed up instead of uh, being fearful about it or judging it to be something bad or something I did wrong. Um, I just let an open space be in my mind for truth to enter. And when it did, it totally transformed my awareness or my understanding of what scarcity represented. And I, I found out that it had nothing to do with the numbers on my bank statement, feeling safe because it looked like I had a lot of money was no different than being fearful because I didn't have enough money. Both of them were misperceptions. In truth, I'm sustained by the love of God, and that was my error. I wasn't, I was looking to the world to sustain me instead of trusting God. And uh, as soon as I changed that, you know, it took all the fear away from me regarding money. And just another uh, uh, quick, um, how we can misinterpret these miracle impulses. So before I say that, so when something comes up, it's because at some level we're asking for it to be healed. Even though we don't know what it is, Spirit will bring it to the surface of consciousness so we can look at it, choose, choose to see it differently, and to let it go. It's not that it's coming up to punish us. You know, that was the point of that. And um, if we can, when it comes up, if we can just hold it as, oh, God wants me to look at this again, and not uh, perceive it or hold it negatively, but an opportunity, another opportunity to heal this unconscious stuff, then that's the true meaning of it. Um, the other, and, the, and the second thing, really, years ago I read the most beautiful, I wish I could remember the book, it was by Michael something, but he was talking about um, or misinterpretation of miracle impulses. And he used as an example when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And um, kind of what, like, um, the Moin was saying, uh, so much of it, our interpretation, is based on our conditioning and our culture. And in the time of Moses, people believed in a very vengeful God a judging God, a punishing God. They didn't have in, it, in its awareness, and they were taught to fear God. That, that was a good thing. And so instead of when Moses received the Ten Commandments, um, his, the misinterpretation of one is that they were uh, commandments. They were, you know, you do these or you go to hell. And what God was really saying was, here is some guidance. If you do these things, your life will be more peaceful and happy and loving. And every one of these ten things I'm giving you as guidance will lead you to a happy life because it wasn't until Jesus came um, that we that the culture found out that God was a loving God and a forgiving God. So their belief system was so solid in their um, version of God 
that they missed the blessing of the Ten Commandments. They missed the joy and the peace that it was intended to bring, not to have them be punished, but to guide them into a more peaceful and loving existence. So these these interpretations of miracle impulses, um, initially, because of our conditioning, we'll interpret them fairly, but if we just take a sacred pause, just a pause to remember, let me pause and choose to see this differently. It will make all the difference in the world because as soon as that willingness clicks in, Holy Spirit goes into action and heals whatever that was. So um, anything that comes to the surface of the mind is there. Everything is love. There's nothing that's not love. It's And the fear comes by, it's like we lay that over it, and it distorts the truth of it. So if we come from a place where everything is love, no matter what it looks like, then we can heal, or then at least in my experience, that healing is assured because it's the will of God for our perfect happiness and nothing would show up in our existence that's not love. And it's only what we've laid over top of it and how we defined it and the meaning we've given it that would make it appear other than love. So anyway, (laughs) that were just a couple of things I wanted to share about um, these miracle impulses. They're always for our good when we allow them to come up and interpret them with Holy Spirit, look at them, no matter what our ego may say or tell us that they are. Uh, I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, Lana, you are something. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lana. Thank you. Uh, this is this is Harrison. Um, I have to. Uh, you guys on hold to take another call. So um, I've been away for quite a while. Um, but uh, I assume the um, recording has been turned off. Is that right? Not quite yet. Oh, uh, I do want to talk about uh, a concern I have. Once uh, the recording has ended. Uh, Alrighty. But I I got back on uh, just at the moment that... um, uh, Brian was talking about uh, uh, miracle impulses, I think, uh, and uh, physical impulses uh, in the section or paragraph 104. And um, for me, it's uh, an important uh, distinction 
the confusion of miracle impulses with physical impulses is a major source of perceptual distortion because it induces rather than straightens out the basic level confusion uh, and so on. Um, and it's important for me to uh, understand really what he's talking about here. Um, because most of the time, uh, I don't think that I have miracle impulses. So uh, I'm trying to uh, figure out exactly uh, what he means when he talks about miracle impulses. They seem to be uh, the distinction between miracle impulses and physical impulses uh, seems to be pretty significant. So uh, if anybody has any thoughts about that, I'd appreciate it. I'm complete. Thank you, Harrison. Harrison, you know, there's a memory that I have of a physical impulse that I remember from our, our retreat time in Cornville, Arizona. You weren't feeling well, and you'd just gone through the loss of a mother-in-law, I think, and you were sitting there, and I thought, I just have to go sit and hold his hand. And it was a really strong impulse. And I wasn't sure how it would be received, but I sat down and I held your hand. We just sat there in silence. And then somebody came and held my hand. And then I started to feel the, the notion of a circuit that as you offer love, it goes around in this beautiful circuit and comes back to you, you know. It, but you don't want to cling to it or you know, obstruct it in any way or ho- try to hold on to it. This is my love. I want to hold on to it. You've got to keep letting it move. And it was a, an experience that brought tears to my ha- eyes for the beauty of the connection. So there was a physical impulse that I felt was came from spirit. I'm complete. Oh, that was beautiful, Wendy. I'm glad oh, you could hear that. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Wendy. Oh. I don't know uh, much, but this is Jennifer. I just want to offer something small uh, and quick. In my experience of a physical impulse um, has been one um, that's attached to an emotion. And as we kind of talked about yesterday, an emotion is attached to a belief. And 
um, a miracle um, impulse um, coming from spirit. It, it's coming. It's in my mind, and and then I check my heart. Um, like, do you really want me to say this, spirit? Really? <laughs> and I've had this happen. And yes, I want you to repeat the lesson of your today that you're doing to this client. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not appropriate. He's not going to want to hear this lesson. And I, Spirit was like, no, I really want you to tell him real soon here. And so I did. And it brought a lot of peace into the room. So um, I was using, I, was, I heard it in my mind. And I'm like, okay, is that for real? And then I, I, I checked my heart. And I had just enough trust, enough willingness to trust. And so it's a heart-mind connection where the ego is completely abolished in that moment. Um, I'm complete. Beautiful description of transcendence, Wendy. Thank you. Or Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. So sorry. <coughs> Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. I love you too, Harrison. No, that's that's um, where that first sentence in paragraph 105 uh, can give me some guidance. Child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. And um, when I read that as child of God, you were created to express the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Um, I have a real sense of where those miracle impulses are. So, um, thank you, everyone. This has been a really beautiful and challenging call. And um, I wait to see what spirit helps us make of it together. Um, I'm kind of excited about that. I was led to uh, this closing yesterday, and I'm so grateful for every voice that contributed to its significance and meaning today. It's from chapter 14 in the section, Perception Without Deceit. Let me center myself for a minute. Paragraph 30, the Holy Spirit asks of you but this, bring him every secret you've locked away, open every door and bid him enter the darkness and lighten it away. At your request, he enters gladly. He brings the light to darkness if you make the darkness open to him, but what you hide he cannot look upon for he sees for you and unless you look with him, with him, he cannot see. The vision of Christ is not for him alone, but for him with you. Therefore, bring all your dark and secret thoughts to him and look upon them with him. He holds the light and you the darkness. They cannot coexist when both of you look together on them. His judgment must prevail and he will give it to you as you join your perception with his. Join in with him in seeing 
is the way in which you learn to share with him the interpretation of perception that leads to knowledge you cannot see alone. Sharing perception with him whom God has given you teaches you how to recognize what you see. It is the recognition that nothing that you see means anything alone. Seeing with him will show you that all meaning, including yours, comes not from double vision, but from the gentle fusing of everything into one meaning, one emotion, and one purpose. God has one purpose which he shares with you. The single vision which the Holy Spirit offers you will bring this oneness to your mind with clarity and brightness so intense you could not wish for all the world not to accept what God would have you have. Behold your will. Behold your will. Accepting it as his, with all his love as yours. All honor to you through him and through him unto God. God would have us know our grandeur as his son and express it with him. Amen. Thank you, everyone. This is, um, as I say, a beautiful and challenging call. And I'm quite anxious to see what we make of it together. We'll end the recording, uh, but we always stay on a bit. So.